before that prayer, we'll go ahead and do an introduction. Happy Sabbath. Good to see each one of you. I see some guests that are not from our church here at Fallbrook, so we welcome you. I know we have a couple here from Arizona that drove a long way. We welcome you and those that drove from elsewhere. We're so glad that you could come and join us as we're here this weekend. And as you saw the schedule, this is not just tonight. Amen. This is all weekend long. This is an intensive training. And as we mentioned to our church, an intensive training is just that. It's intense. But it's a good intense, right? It's an intense because we're seeking to learn how to win souls to Christ. And I believe uh, you picked up a schedule. If you did not, uh, there's one on the way out. But there'll be two presentations this evening. Um, One, the first of mine, commissioned by Carissa McSherry, um, which is on my left. And then uh, Chuck will be sharing personal preparation. And then tomorrow, there'll be a number of different uh, seminars. And the first is beginning um, during our church service. And some of you um, who go to Fallbrook will know that we have a first and second service. So if you can't make it to our 11 o'clock hour, there is a first service. And Chuck promised me that even though it's early, he'd be there. So uh, he'll be preaching the same sermon for both first and second service. Um, that's at 8, 15, and 11. And there'll be a number more seminars after that and also on Sunday. So I'm looking forward to this weekend. Glad that you could join us. And uh, Carissa and Chuck um, both work for Amazing Facts College of Evangelism. That's what AFCO uh, is the uh, acronym for. And I personally am very thankful for AFCO having um, many friends that have been through the program and also um, just knowing individuals that have received the training And Chuck uh, has been the director for a few years now. He's been with Amazing Facts since 2009. And Chris has been with Amazing Facts since 2006. Is that right? Um, And uh, um, we're really looking forward to them uh, being here with us. And we know that it'll be a blessing. And why don't we go ahead and ask God to be with us and bow our heads. And we'll let Carissa begin us this evening. Father, we want to thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to be gathered together to open up the word of God. And... Specifically, Lord, to seek your will in how to be effective soul winners. And Lord, as we look at scripture and spirit of prophecy, we know that that is truly what your heart is all about, is winning those that do not know of your love and telling others of the hope that is found in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit tonight, tomorrow, and on Sunday. And Lord, We look forward to seeing how you will work. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us. And we pray and ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carissa and Chuck, for being with us. Happy Sabbath. Is it a happy Sabbath thus far? Amen. Praise God. We are excited to be here in sunny Fallbrook. But it is a pleasure to be down here and to be joining you. We're looking forward to getting to know you more as the weekend progresses. We have an exciting and busy weekend ahead of us. I'm hoping you are well rested. You ready for this? All right. As we travel around, we get to meet people um, around the world. I am always asked the same three questions. So everywhere I travel, I now make it a point of getting those three questions out of the way. My name is Carissa McSherry. I am six feet, two inches tall, without heels. And yes, I play basketball. 
I am from Northern California, so I won't say what team I am loyal to. But yes, uh, that is the answer to any questions you may have had. I, again, have worked with Amazing Facts since 2006, full-time for the past couple of years. And again, it has just been a blessing to travel and to see how God is truly sending His message around the world, to see the impact on lives through the grace of God. Uh, Back in 2006, I was trying to figure out which direction I should be going in my life, and I remember hearing about this Bible college by the name of AFCO. Four-month Bible college, I get to learn more about how to share my faith and how to understand God's Word, and I thought, well, that sounds pretty interesting, and seeing as how someone paid my entire way, I figured I might as well check it out. So there I was, signed up for our four-month AFCO program. But you see, what I did not realize at the time is that two afternoons a week, I would have to go door to door, knocking on doors and offering Bible studies. If I had known that, I would not have signed up. (laughs) But there I was in class, and there was no turning back, and thus, two afternoons a week, I was out knocking on doors and giving Bible studies. And I remember my outreach territory. You know those areas where the police officers are constantly circling? Those areas where the guys are out front and they're smoking weed? That was my outreach territory. It wasn't long before I'd walk into the apartment complex and the guys would be out front smoking weed and dealing drugs and, oh, here comes the Christian girls. (laughs) We had a reputation in that area, but you see, I loved it because the people felt their need. They were searching for something more, and they could not find that fulfillment until it was found in Jesus Christ. There were so many people, again, that were open as we knocked on the door and offered these community services and these Bible studies. I remember meeting one woman by the name of Betsy. Now, Betsy, again, is that Bible study friend that you dream of, the one that is always there, the one that is always excited to study the Bible First time studying the Word of God. And for about five weeks or so, I was going every single week, and Betsy and I were studying the Word of God together. Soon the prophecy seminar began in town, and so I invited Betsy to come, and every night I'd pick her up and I would drive her to that prophecy seminar. But about a a week or so in that seminar, I was traveling around the area, visiting people and encouraging them to come out to the meeting again. And I had this very strong impression, you need to go visit Betsy. Have you ever argued with God before? I'm not the only one, right? And there I was arguing with God, well, God, I'm going to be picking her up tonight for the seminar. God, she's going to think that I'm stalking her, right? If I'm always going by her house and And yet that impression remained, no, you need to go visit Betsy. You need to go visit Betsy. I was in the area anyway, so fine, might as well. Pulled over my car and walked up those stairs to Betsy's apartment. Knocked on the door, no answer. Knock on the door again and still no answer. But you see, I had been impressed that God was sending me there. And so a third time I knocked. And that time, the Betsy that opened the door was not the person I was expecting to see. See, she looked depressed, empty, 
hopeless. I looked at her and said, Betsy, what's wrong? What happened? We went into her family room and sat down, and Betsy began to explain. You see, Carissa, I've been sitting here in my room trying to decide the best way to take my life, the best way to commit suicide. The question for us tonight is, what if I had not gone? Now again, you know how the story goes. You know that I was arguing with the Lord. But what if I had not finally bowed to the Holy Spirit and gone to Betsy's house that night? The story would have been very different. But you see, God heard her cry. God knew her struggle and how beautiful it was to kneel there in her room, to pray together, to embrace one another, to cry with each other, and to read God's promises together. By the grace of God, Betsy accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And I praise God for the growth that she had as she continued to come out to that prophecy seminar to hear Jesus revealed through the book of Revelation. At the end of the prophecy seminar, I stood there and watched as Betsy walked into that watery grave of baptism. And I remember seeing Betsy, and in that moment, I just cried out to God, and I said, God, that's it. That is what I want to do for the rest of my life. God, I want to lead others to you. You see, I truly believe that there is nothing more fulfilling than seeing someone accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Than seeing someone else have that joy and that experience that you have. And I believe that the reason we are all here tonight is because we want to win souls for Jesus Christ. We want to reach out to the Betsies in this world. How can we do this? How can we truly fulfill the Great Commission tonight? Would you bow your heads with me yet again as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we know it is not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. Father, we are here tonight not by our might, not by our power. Father God, we pray for your Holy Spirit. Touch our hearts, teach us, and lead us to Calvary is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. The parting words of a loved one are dear. The words that are spoken on a deathbed are never forgotten. Imagine as he stood there on the mount and he looked out at this group of 11 men, this group of dysfunctional men, men that are competing, that are vying to be the greatest in the kingdom, and he looks out at these men and these men are to take the gospel to the ends of the world. Imagine if I had been Jesus' advisor on that day, I might have asked him, Jesus, what is plan B? This does not look like a good option. And yet Jesus looked at this group of dysfunctional people and he said, I have a mission, I have a calling for you. That gives me hope, does it not? That mission, that calling is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And the Bible tells us, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you how long? Always, even unto the end of the age. You see, the commission that was given to the disciples of old is given also to us 
today. I believe that this is Christ's blueprint for evangelism. The first step in evangelism is to do what? To go. How many of you were raised as Seventh-day Adventist Christians? Wow, okay, majority here. How many of you are third generation Seventh-day Adventist? Okay, fourth generation. Wow, fifth generation. Okay, sixth generation. I am sixth generation Seventh-day Adventist. So I have a front row seat, right? <laughs> right next to the throne of God? Is that how it works? Ah, oh, okay, too bad. Now, of course, it doesn't work that way. It has to be your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But the reason that I mention the sixth generation status is because often... We have our little Adventist bubbles. I remember when I first began to develop this passion for evangelism and to realize the importance of sharing my faith, and I thought, you know, which of my friends could I give a Bible study to? Which of my friends could I invite to church? And I remember realizing I don't have a single non-Adventist friend. That's horrible, is that not? I did not have a single non-Adventist friend. I was in my little bubble. And God was telling me to go, to get out of the comfort of my pew, out of Laodicea, to go, and to warn others and to reach others for Jesus Christ. Secondarily, we see that we are to make disciples. How long did it take Jesus Christ to make disciples? Three years, three and a half years. And at the end of the three and a half years, they were perfect, were they not? Maybe not quite. They had a lot of growth to continue in. And you see, it's the same for us as a church today. Often we run a prophecy seminar. We see people baptized and we say, praise the Lord, our job is done. But in reality, our work has only just begun. Now is the time to make disciples. Now is the time to train and to encourage, and that work will take some time. Now is the time to make disciples. Of course, baptize them, teach them to observe all things, and lastly, we must teach them to do what? To go. You see, if we do not teach new believers to go, by default, we teach them to sit. That makes sense. If we do not teach them to go, by default, we teach them to sit. I want your feedback on this. Why is it so important to teach new believers to go? Why is it so important to teach new believers to go? Please. Very good. It's the only way they can develop those spiritual muscles. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Yes, please. <laughs> Good. All right. Excellent. What else? Sure. As they share their own faith, it strengthens their experience. Very good.
Mm-hmm. They have that first love. <laughs> they are passionate about sharing that experience. Yes. Awesome. It strengthens your relationship with Jesus. Bring them first to Jesus Christ. Good. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, them going is sharing the vision too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The Christian experience is never stagnant. If we are not growing, we die. You know, I, I know for myself personally, there have been times in my experience where, you know, I'm just not quite as passionate about my devotions anymore. You kind of lose that excitement about studying the Word of God in the morning. And I realize that the times when I go through that experience is because I'm not sharing my faith. When I share my faith, it drives me back to the Word of God. It makes me realize, wow, I don't know very much. I need to study more. When I'm sharing my faith, does it give you reason to pray? So many more reasons to pray and to seek the Lord. So not only, again, do we need to share, but it strengthens our own experience in Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to look at eight points in this divine commission. What is our calling today as a church? What is our calling individually? First question, to whom was the divine commission given? This is found in Gospel Workers, page 29. We are told the commission given to the disciples is given also to us. Today as then, a crucified and risen Savior is to be uplifted before those who are without God and without hope in the world. You know, my, my goal with the AFCO students is that they will work themselves out of a job. Our goal is when we place them in a church, we want them to train the entire church to incorporate the whole church in evangelism so soon there is no reason for a Bible worker because the church members are so active in giving Bible studies. You know, sometimes when we conduct these church trainings and we follow up with leads and we try to give them to the church, churches, church members will say, you know, we don't need to give the Bible studies because we have a Bible worker who can do that. We have a pastor who can do visitation. But my question always is, why would you want to have the pastor have all the joy? Why would you want the Bible worker to have all the joy? There is no greater joy than leading someone to Jesus Christ. Don't let them have all that joy. Be a part of that experience today. That divine commission is given also to us. David Livingston, a missionary to Africa, once said, If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Humbling words, is it not? How many times have people told you, wow, you've sacrificed a lot to be a Christian. You've given up that potential job and that career and that relationship, and you've sacrificed a lot to be a Christian. And yet, by comparison with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, do we even know what sacrifice is? When I look at the cross, I realize I have sacrificed nothing 
by comparison to what Jesus Christ has given for us. Why then was this work given to us? You see, God can use the rocks to cry out. God can speak through a donkey. He can use a rooster to bring conviction to an erring man. Why then does God use us to preach the good news of salvation? We read in Desire of Ages, page 142, God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. But in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. In order to enter into his joy, the joy of seeing souls redeemed by his sacrifice, we must participate in his labors for their redemption. According to this passage, why is it that God wants us to be a part of this work? Why is it that God wants us to be a part of this work? so that we can be like Christ, so that we can develop his character. How many of you tonight are saying, I want to have a character like Jesus Christ? Amen. And the only way we can develop that character is when we are actively laboring with Jesus Christ, as we are working hand in hand with our Savior. You know, one of the things that I appreciate the most about ministry as I prepare for a Bible study, or as you prepare to teach Sabbath school, or, or oh, any of the other ministries you might be involved in to preach a sermon, maybe you've been there, and you're on your, in your room on your knees, and you're praying out to God, and you're saying, God, I cannot give this Bible study unless my heart is surrendered. Jesus, unless you fill me with your love, I have nothing to give. God, unless your Holy Spirit speaks, I'm going to make a fool of myself. Does God delight in those prayers? When we, like Jacob, are on our knees and we're crying out and wrestling with God, God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Those are the prayers that the heart of God yearns to answer. And tonight, God wants us to wrestle with him. I remember one summer, giving Bible studies in the Sacramento area, again, going door to door every day in hot Sacramento. And the very first Bible study I would typically give is Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, the statues, the image, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And I remember again, all summer long, giving this Bible study and and in fact, I remember one night, I actually had a dream about this image. <laughs> I've been giving this Bible study so many times, it becomes very repetitive. Daniel, or Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And after a while, you lose your passion for it, do you not? And yet, there I was, meeting a gentleman by the name of Rick. Rick was in his 40s. He was currently out of work, a construction worker. And so when I knocked on his door and I offered Bible studies and community services, he said, you know, I've never read the Bible before, but I heard about this book called Revelation. Do you happen to know anything about it? Do we as Adventists know a thing or two about Revelation? Amen, by the grace of God. Yeah, definitely. I think you'll really enjoy these Bible studies. I'll be back next week. And so next week, I begin these Bible studies with Rick. 
And I remember sitting there with my Bible study friend, and we're giving this Bible study to Rick. And again, I'm repeating, Babylon, me to Persia, Greece, and Rome. Right? Just repeating it off the top of my head. Again, not really connected with the message. And as I gave that Bible study, Rick looked up at me with a look of complete shock. You mean this stuff's legit? There actually is a God? Well, yeah, there, there is. That's awesome! As only a Californian can say, right? That's awesome! Yeah, it, it is. But you know, as I watched Rick's enthusiasm, do you think it did something in my own heart? As I saw his own passion, his own excitement, I remember thinking, wow, that's, that's right. There is a God. That's right. This word is true. That's right. God does know my future. And as I saw Rick's excitement for the word of God, it changed my own heart. You know, often as Adventists, we become so comfortable with our belief systems, with coming to church every Sabbath, because, well, that's what you do. And we lose the joy and that first love passion that we once experienced. But as you share that joy with someone else, as you have them experience the joy of the Sabbath, your own fire is yet again renewed. What a beautiful work to be a part of today. What methods are to be followed. Again, if God is our commander and he has a mission for us, in what direction should we go? Testimonies, volume 7, page 38, tells us this. The Lord's methods are to be followed. By doing house-to-house work, by giving Bible readings in families, the worker may gain access to many who are seeking for truth. By opening the scriptures, by prayer and exercising faith, he is to teach the people the way of the Lord. All right, what are you seeing here? I'm going to make sure we're staying awake. What is Christ's method? What is the approach found here? House to house work. Good. What else do you see? What are we doing in the house to house work? Opening up the scriptures. We're studying the word of God with people. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to travel down to the country of Indonesia. Amazing Facts has a four-month Bible training program in the heart of Indonesia. If you know much about Indonesia, it is the largest Muslim country in the world. And yet, by the grace of God, we have an evangelism training center there in the heart. Praise God, amen? And I remember as I'm traveling down to speak in Indonesia, reports began to come back to me of what the students were experiencing. You see, there was one call porter going door to door, and a Muslim man became so upset by what he was doing that he chased him down the street with a sword. And one of our very own students, again, going door to door and offering Uh, free healthy living advice and other programs, again, going door to door, another man became so upset that he slapped him across the face. And here I am traveling to Indonesia to teach the students how to do outreach. And I remember praying to God and saying, God, don't let them die 
God protect them. But you know, when it came time for the students to go on outreach, I did not have to push them out the door. They were running out to their motorcycles, jumping on, heading off to their Bible study homes. You see, they were excited. They were passionate. They could not wait to share the joy that they had in Jesus Christ. And the testimonies would come back, the testimonies of a Muslim fan that they're helping with, with cooking classes. The testimonies of a Muslim woman that was accepting Bible studies, the testimonies came back time and time again. And yet how often when we come back to the States, we come back to North America, and we encourage people, go door to door, get to know your neighbors. And they look at us with a look of complete fear and trepidation. What if they say no? What if they say no? Our brothers and sisters around the world are literally being chased down the street with a sword. And I'm afraid of no? Could it be that I have not fully experienced Romans chapter 1 where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. You know, as we experience that power in God, as we grow in our relationship with him, like Paul, you cannot shut us off, right? The apostles of old would say, throw me in prison, chain me up, but I cannot do anything less than preach of my Savior. What if that was the burning desire of our hearts today? Continuing, we read in Ministry of Healing, page 143. This is a quote you'll be very familiar with as this weekend progresses. We are told that Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, won their confidence, and then he bade them do what? Follow me. Again, we see that there is a progression here. What I want to emphasize, though, is that Christ's method alone will bring what type of success? True success. Does that mean that there could, in fact, be a false success? An apparent success? How many of you have heard by, of a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards? Maybe you're familiar with the sermon he once gave, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Let me paraphrase that sermon for you. Again, Jonathan Edwards was a revivalist, and he would travel around the states preaching in country churches. And there he was on a Sunday morning preaching about how there was a God that viewed you like a loathsome, venomous serpent who delights in hanging you over the fires of hell and seeing your skin melt off for eternity. Can you imagine listening to a sermon like this? And at the end of the sermon, he would make an appeal, and he would say, if you want to accept Christ and avoid hellfire, come forward. How many people do you think came forward? Everybody. Confessing their sins, crying out to God. 
But were those experiences lasting? No. Because they were not true conversions. You see, that is not Christ's method. Christ does not win people through fear. Christ wins people by love. Christ's method alone will bring true success. In other words, our focus this weekend is what is Christ's method? How can we truly apply it in our communities? Because that is when we will see success. We see again that Christ mingled with men. He desired their good. Christ showed sympathy to them, ministered their needs, thus winning their confidence. And then he bade them, follow me. We see point four, that this is a call, yes, to the church, but is a call to us individually. Ministry of Healing, page 105, tells us, He who becomes a child of God should henceforth look upon himself as a link in the chain, let down to save the world. One with Christ in his plan of mercy, going forth with him to seek and save the lost. You know, I believe that each one of us is truly a link in the chain. You know the saying, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. We are part of that body of Christ. Every single component of the body of Christ is crucial. I may not be the mouth, I may not be the feet, but are the hands important? Our role is crucial, and I believe that God has divine appointments for each one of us. God has someone for you to reach that I never could, and vice versa, correct? God has those divine appointments for us. I travel a fair amount with work. And before I book my flights, I'm always praying for divine appointments. I'm praying that God puts me in the right spot so that I can, Lord willing, have that divine appointment. I'm sure hoping that it means I still get to sit next to the window. Doesn't always work out that way. And I remember this one day, I sat down again on the plane, and I was sitting next to an elderly lady. We began to talk about her family and about her kids and where she's from. And, and after a little while... I noticed that she had an emergency alert band on her arm. You've seen those, right? And because we had a friendship, I began to ask her about that emergency alert band, and she began to tell me about how her husband had recently passed away. Two months later, her daughter also passed away. If you can imagine, experience the loss of your spouse and then immediately the loss of a child. She already had health issues, and of course, this just exasperated them. And so now she's on lots of medication. She's struggling with her heart, struggling with her health, and just depressed with life. At that moment, after listening for some time, I held up my arm because at that time, I too had an emergency alert van on my arm. You see, on the way back from Indonesia, I landed back in the States and went back to work, and, and I noticed I was having a little difficulty breathing. I was trying to take a breath, but it just felt like I wasn't getting a full breath of air. I noticed that soon it came to the point of I could say a few words only before I had to stop and take a deep breath, and I was starting to feel lightheaded, and something just wasn't right. 
It became worse and worse, and I was having a hard time hiding it from others. I finally went to my physician. It took some time before they sorted out the, diagno- the, the diagnosis of a pulmonary embolism and a thrombosis in my inferior vena cava. I had a blood clot in my lung and another near my heart. Now, if you know much about blood clots, that can often be quite fatal. In fact, I was there in the emergency room, and the physician came to me and said, I'm amazed you lived this long. (laughs) Maybe not the most comforting bedside manner, right? But two weeks after the trip and struggling with breathing, it was a miracle in many ways. And I began to share with her about my experience there in the hospital room, about those moments of darkness, and yet knowing that God was near, about the healing that he brings, about his presence, about his peace. And as I began to share with her, she began to cry. Again, it was someone that in a small way could relate to what she was going through and yet had found healing in Jesus Christ. Before I got off the plane that day, I was able to share with her a little book, Steps to Christ. You see, I believe that God placed her there because he knew we needed to hear each other's testimonies. He knew that that was a story that she needed to know. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. I want to show this to us in the Bible tonight. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we will be reading verses 3 and 4. Beginning in verse 3, the Bible tells us tonight, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see this? God comforts us so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we have received from whom? From God. You know, often we go through painful experiences in our lives. We want to hide them in the closet. We want to put them underneath the rug. But that could be the very story that someone is dying to hear. God has comforted you so that you can comfort others with the comfort that you yourself have received from God. And I believe tonight without a doubt that God has divine appointments for each one of us. My prayer for us tonight, God, open my eyes so that I may see them. Fifth, we see that this is a call to the church. Wherever a church is established, all the members should engage actively in missionary work. They should visit every family in their neighborhood and know their spiritual condition. If professed Christians had engaged in this work from the time their names were first placed in the church books, thousands upon thousands would today stand with God's commandment-keeping people. Humbling words, are they not? Wherever a church is established, how many members should engage actively in missionary work? All the members. And yet how often we have people tell us, well, you know, that's really great that you like to share your faith, and that's awesome you enjoy ministry, but 
that's just not my gift. Have you heard those words before? But here we are told how many members should be involved? All the members. Now, do we all function in the same exact role? No. We all have our different gifts, our different talents from God, but God is calling us all to be involved in missionary work. I have a friend who drives me crazy. Do you have friends like that? Yeah, don't raise your hand, right? <laughs> Actually, it's my little sister, and I am allowed to tell this story. You see, my little sister, she recently got married, but prior to that, when she was engaged and I'm dating the man who is now her husband, she drove me crazy. You see, all she wanted to talk about was her fiancé. Oh, Johannes is perfect. Oh, he does nothing wrong. Oh, he does this. Oh, he does that. Oh, he walks on air. And after a while, you're wondering, can we talk about anything else? The weather, <laughs> I don't care, anything else. Do we have to talk about Johannes? I never had to go up to my sister and say, Desi, you haven't talked about Johannes all day long. I never had to do that because she had been talking about him every three seconds. <sighs> but it made me wonder, what if my relationship with Christ was just as strong? What if evangelism was not something I did? What if evangelism was not something that occurred Sabbath afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m.? What if evangelism was something we don't even realize we're doing because we love Jesus Christ so much we can't help but talk about him? Just try and shut us up, right? We don't even realize we're talking about Jesus because we love him so much. That's my prayer tonight. God, may our relationships be so close to you that your love just flows forth from us. How are we to accomplish this mission? Again, we see that this gospel is to go to the ends of the world, that everyone is to hear the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. How is this possible? You might think of words such as fortitude, perseverance, but tonight I want to submit to you that the only way this work can be completed, the only way that we can finally go home, is if we go forth with tears. Does that sound a little weak? This work can only be accomplished with tears. Psalms 126 verses 5 and 6 tell us this. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seeds for sowing, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Tonight, my question to you, have you cried over your neighborhood? Have you cried over your family? Have you cried over your coworkers? Lord, I want them to experience the joy of salvation. God promises tonight, if we go forth with tears, we shall return with joy. 
If we go forth on our knees pleading with God, God, save your people, show me how to minister to them. God longs to accomplish that work. Tonight, if you are recognizing that you are too small for the great task before you, if you are feeling nervous about what lies ahead, I want to praise the Lord. Because it is when we realize that we cannot depend upon ourselves. I have no power in me. It is when we realize this, that God's work can be accomplished. The Bible reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, it is not until we recognize our weakness that God's strength can be made perfect in us. Tonight, are we crying for our communities? Are we crying for our churches? Are we crying for our families? Because by the grace of God, we can rest on the assurance that we will return with joy. Continuing, we are told that each member is to be active. The living church of God will be waiting, watching, and working. None are to stand in a neutral position. All are to represent Christ in active, earnest effort to save perishing You know, I believe that this Christian work is a battle. And imagine if I was on the battlefield and there I stand in the middle and I decide I am not going to move. How long would I last? Seconds, right? Quickly I would be destroyed by gunfire. And you see, that is the Christian battle. If I stand still, I die. God wants us to constantly be growing, to constantly be sharing and coming closer to him. A man by the name of James Calvert, James Calvert was a missionary to the Fiji Islands. Now at the time when James Calvert had this burden to reach those in Fiji, this island was inhabited by cannibals. Can you imagine going to your family and announcing over Thanksgiving dinner that you were taking your other children to a cannibal-infested island. Do you think they'd be excited about that? And as James Calvert is there on this ship, and he's heading to this island, the ship captain stops him, and he says, James, you are a fool. Taking your children, taking your wife to this island with cannibals, you will be killed. You will not live. Why would you do such a foolish thing? Aren't you afraid to die? And yet James Calvert, a man of great faith, looked at the ship captain with full assurance, and he said, Brother, we are not afraid of death because we died before we came here. We are not afraid of the cannibals because we have already died. Tonight, have we died? As we start off this weekend with Jesus Christ, as we are seeking to learn and to grow, as we come, have we died? Because it is only when we die that Jesus can raise us up to that newness of life. Have we died? Are we surrendering our all to Jesus Christ tonight? A missionary by the name of Jim Elliott 
once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. James Calvert gave all as he was martyred in Ecuador. And yet he knew that promise to be true. And finally, in closing, Christian service, page 69. Let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. You know, I believe that every single church is established to be a training center. Every church is a training center to train us on how to do evangelism how to minister to our family, how to reach out to our friends, how to truly share Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to this weekend together as we study how to truly reach our neighbors, how to do friendship evangelism, how to share your testimony, as we look at what it means to reclaim missing members, to nurture new believers. It's going to be a busy weekend. But I am looking forward to growing and learning together as we continue to seek the Lord, as we continue to go forth on our knees. Tonight, if you have a burning fire in your heart and you are saying, God, I want to reach others for you. God, open my eyes so that I can see the divine appointments around me. If that's your desire, would you just stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I just want to thank you that it is when we go forth with tears, it is when we recognize our weakness, it is when we see that we are nothing, Lord, that is when you can work. That is when your spirit can move forward. And oh, Father God, we recognize that we need Jesus tonight. Father, we pray that through this weekend, yes, Lord, we may learn the tools. Yes, we may be more effective in reaching our families, but Father, we pray that our own hearts may be drawn closer to you. Father, we pray that we may love you more this weekend than we have ever loved you before. May Jesus be present. May our hearts be drawn to you as our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. We are going to take a quick 60.